All right, Rabotai, I want to welcome our members here at Ohel Yaakob and another edition of uh, the Monday Night Shi'ur. I'm well aware that uh, the holiday of Purim is behind us, but we're closer to Purim than to Pesach. And uh, to be honest with you, when the holidays end, they don't come to a screeching halt, which means you can't just say, okay, holiday's over, and this has never happened before. Uh, just like there's a build-up to get to the holiday, there's also a fallout, where you still need to get the impressions of the holiday. You know, there's a lasting effect. The Kiddushah of these holidays are very, very great. And therefore, I will uh, avail myself tonight, if you allow me, uh, to do a, a postscript. You know, sometimes when you forget something at the end of a letter, you write P.S. So this is the P.S. Uh, to Purim 5782. It's a lesson from Purim, but it's a lesson really of, uh, of Jewish history and life, and it's a very valuable one. It actually is based on a question, the theme of tonight's class, that one of our members asked. So he came to me and he said, you know, Rabbi Megillat uh, Esther, I understand it's one of the 24 books of Tanakh. You're right. It was added at the bequest of Esther and Malka that this miracle should be chronicled in the holy books. And the 10 chapters <coughs> are written Beruah HaKodesh with divine inspiration, uh, like a Sefer Torah. And we read it from parchment and we have to hear every word. And the main theme, of course, is detailing all the miracles, albeit they weren't open miracles, but the miracles of divine providence, how Kadosh Baruch Hu brought the Jewish people from uh, almost, God forbid, extermination, and all of a sudden our enemies ended up uh, being hung on trees and being uh, eliminated, and Bnei Israel flourished and prospered. So it's, it's a great story. And every word, obviously, is contributing to the miracle. So you have to learn every pasuk and you have to see the ness of Hashem and the hand of God. So the fellow asked me, but Rabbi, when I got to the 10th chapter, I see a pasuk over there and it doesn't make sense to me that it belongs in Megillat Esther. At the end of the Megillah it says, Vayasem ha-melech ahashverosh mas ala ares ve'iyahayam. And Ahasuerus levied a tax against his people and also the, uh, the islands. Now, levying a tax doesn't really tell us too much about any of the miracle. That's a political item. Uh, that has to do with the government, you know. So Ahasuerus was a Democrat. That's all we learned from that. Uh, <laughs> so that he wasn't a Republican. He, you know, he charged taxes. So we're used to that already. But what in the world... Does that have to do with Megillat Esther? You know, does somebody say, oh, Vayasim HaMelech HaShosh must say, oh, he charged the mass. Ah, look at that, Yishlebach Shemo. Why is that added into Megillat Esther? Seemingly, that belongs in the, in the geopolitical books of Parasu Madai. To tell me some of the facts. You know, just like they didn't tell me what the Persian soccer club did that year, if it won the World Cup, that's not for the Megillat Esther's business. Nor did it tell me the weather in the greater Shushan area, because that's not part of the miracle either. That belongs on the newscast, the nightly news at 11 o'clock in Shushan Abira. You know, who won the, 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 the soccer game and the, the taxes and the inflation rate? Why is that in Megillat Esther? I think it's a simple question. With your permission, if you allow me, I'll give the answer. I'll bid you farewell. I'll tell you, Shabu Atov, and we'll be on our way. It's a very simple format tonight. Furthermore, I added to the question. In uh, public speaking, I'm giving you some of the tricks of the trade now. Public speaking, which my opinion is I don't believe you can be taught public speaking. I think it's uh, either you have it or you don't have it. I think if you're taught it, it becomes mechanical. You know, they're trying to tell you that, you know, when you want to make a point, lift your right hand. To show. If you don't know how to do that naturally, if you need to be told by a, you know, uh, 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 a puppeteer to lift your right hand to make a point, 
So then it looks very, uh, you know, robotical. <laughs> so now, so now, in public speaking, they tell you that a good speech or a good book, the beginning and the end have to be connected. So when you get to the end, it ties it all the way back to the beginning, which makes a nice bow and a ribbon and gives a, a beautiful full circle. It's, it's good for the reader's brain. It connects. But sometimes you have a speech, for example, and the speech just keeps on going out and out and out and out. And, out, and he leaves you in the middle of the Sahara Desert without bringing you back to where you belong. Therefore, he took you to a very far place, left you off over there in no man's land, and you feel like you're in no man's land because you are in no man's land. And you're wondering, what, 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 where are we now? The job of the speaker is after he brings you to a far off place, he's got to bring you all the way back. Say, wow, look at that. We went on a trip and we came back to the original spot. Mikilat Esther obviously is going to do the same thing. So Mikilat Esther begins what? With the party. Now you want to go full circle. How does it end? With the taxes. Oh, it sounds like you left me further than where I started. It doesn't look like you went full circle. It looks like you went into no man's land. So it's my responsibility tonight to try to explain you the connection between chapter 1 and chapter 10, which Bezat Hashem we hope to do. My opinion, the most important Pasuk in Megillat Esther, which creates a very important theme throughout the Megillah is when Haman, after taking advice from his wife, goes at an early morning, or actually midnight meeting with the king. The king couldn't sleep that night, and uh, he's uh, twisting and turning, and all of a sudden he hears rustling in the courtyard, he says, Mi bihaser, who's in the courtyard? And they say, Haman ba. Haman actually came, in order to tell the king to hang Mordechai on a tree that he prepared. And the Pasuk says, Lemor Lamelech, to tell the king, Litlot et Mordechai, to hang Mordechai, Alaetz, on the tree, Asher Hechin Lo, that he prepared for him. Now, the simple interpretation is, Asher Hechin Lo, that he prepared for Mordechai. That was the gallows, the 50 Amma tree, which is about 100 feet long. It's a, it's a long telephone pole. And he had it prepared in order to tell the king to hang Mordechai. The Gemara says, wait. <clears throat> in truth, who was Haman preparing the tree for? He actually was preparing it for himself. And therefore that pronoun law is not referring to Mordechai, but when it says, on the tree that he prepared for him, him means that he prepared for himself. As the Gemara says, he prepared it for himself. He thought he's preparing it for Mordechai. Little did he know that he would be hung on the gallows that he made himself. Uh, that's a... Uh, a beautiful, beautiful explanation of the Gemara. And then from here we learn a great lesson, the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, uses his divine providence. When he wants to bring down our enemies, God can bring them down in many ways. Haman could have uh, been eliminated in infinite amount of ways. He could have died in his sleep. He could have been poisoned. He could have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, run over by a horse. <coughs> There's no, he could have committed suicide. Haman, if God wants to get rid of him, no sorts of ways. But the choice method that God uses is the method that was drafted by the enemy himself. It's as if God says, listen, he has a plan already. Why should I make a new plan if he already has a plan? So I might as well use his plan. Yeah, but hold on, God, his plan was against Mordecai. No problem. I can use his plan against him. That's the beauty of it, which means, Borei Olam says, why do I have to make new plans if there's already plans that somebody else made? And you would say, yeah, but God Almighty, those plans were not made for him. I, I use what's called the boomerang theory. I'm just going to take his plan, and you watch magic, 
V'nafoch hu. V'nafoch means I'm going to turn the plan against him. And therefore, ultimately, who's responsible for killing Haman? Haman. So I got to give Mahzak Baruch. Which means what we couldn't do to Haman, Haman did to himself. Now, when your enemies are killing themselves, you know, they don't need any help. You just sit back and watch them. Anything we do can only mess it up. Haman doesn't need any help. He is his greatest enemy. And he is self-destructing because every move that he does in order to go against the Jews, what ultimately is happening is it is boomeranging back into his face. Now, this is a theme of Megillat Nesir, as I'm going to show you. And it's a theme of Jewish history. Now, before we go further, can I ask MMM to offer me a uh, sidur? I saw one of the rabbis make the following observation in the Alanisim. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, you tell me how you learned. So we remember the Chayvester, etc. When Haman Rasha rose up, okay, wanted to annihilate all the Jews. Nar Azakin, Tafinashim Yomihad in one day, genocide. Bishrosha Asan Hodeshinim Asad, the thirteenth of the twelfth month, Hodeshadar. Batabir Hamekarabim, now explain. And God Almighty in your infinite mercy, Hefarta et Atsato. Explain. Hefarta. You were you were dispelled or you were nullified his plot. His plot. Hefarta et Atsato. Which, by the way, I'm good with that. If I thought so, you nullified his plot. No, there's more. Vikilkalta et mahashavto. And you ruined his plan. Well, isn't that redundant with hefarta et atzato? It's just another way of saying the same thing. Hefarta et atzato, you nullified his plot. And kilkalta, you spoiled his plan. Now, the explanation is the. Sidur is telling you, how did God nullify the plot? By spoiling the plan. And what does it mean, spoiling the plan? The plan gets spoiled because it backfires. It got switched. It got boomeranged. Which means, how does a machshava get mikulkal? When you have a machshava against A, and all of a sudden that machshava reverts back to you. So therefore there's a kilkul in the machshava. His thoughts were towards Mordechai. But whatever he thought towards Mordechai, gravity kept on pulling it back towards him. So that you spoiled his plans and his plans backfired on them. And the classic example, just to give you a flavor of what's going on here tonight. I'm jumping around. At the end of the story, they have a party. And at the party, Queen Esther comes along and says, That's the guy, Isar Ve'oyev Amanarazer. This guy's a bad guy, criminal. Ashirosh is livid. Avrosh goes out to get some air in the, uh, the garden. He comes back, he sees Haman pleading for his life, maybe a little too close for comfort. And Ashirosh, hey, you're too close to my wife over here. It's not enough you want to. Uh, do what you want to do. Now you want to take over my uh, my wife? Uh, Hashirot didn't couldn't see straight. All of a sudden, who comes out of the uh, the jacket of the, the jacket of the box? Harbona. Harbona shows up. Harbona comes and says, "Hey, uh, there's the tree." Hashirot opens his window. He sees this big, you know, tree, uh, eyesore, fifty amma high. Where's this, where the street coming? Blocking his uh, view of the ocean. Where did this thing come from? Who, 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 got, who gave the variance to this uh, item over here? He said, no, this is the thing Haman built. So the king says, finished. The king makes a royal edict. Now nobody thinks twice of it. He's the king. Hold it. Oh, now I understand what it means. I used to do it every week and the thing falls. Now I understand. Go to chapter one. Vashti, or like the Ashkenazim say, Vashti, Vashti doesn't want to come to the party. 
for whatever reason, she got acne, she got a tail, however you want to learn it, that's up to you. Basically, she didn't want to show up. So the king now says, hey, this is, uh, this is tyranny. You know, show up again to the king's orders. So what does he do? He calls the court in. Vayomer he calls in different type of courts. The whole committee, the whole committee. And they all come in front of Hashanah, uh, and he's going to give them the case, and they're going to have to make a ruling. Gaon the Vilna says, why? Because the protocol in Shushan or in Parasubadai was, when the king has major cases to execute somebody, you got to take it to the court. So the question is, then how come when it came to executing Haman, who's a major political figure, Hashanah doesn't consult with anybody? What does he say? Hey, what happened to Karshinah, Shetara, Admatan, Tarshish, Chachamim, Yudayatim? Where'd all the cronies go? Go to chapter one. After Haman gives Hashanah advice to kill Vashti, it's his advice, by the way, which, parentheses, it's his advice to kill Vashti. Hashanah did not want to kill Vashti. Haman pushed him. Thinking that he'll get his daughter in, thinking he'll get a relative in, who knows what. <clears throat> he did it definitely for his own personal benefit. And Azaka Baruch Haman, we've got to give him Azaka Baruch really with credit, credit where credit is deserved. Because of Haman, Esther now becomes the queen who is the one that's going to bring Haman down. So, therefore, who's responsible for Haman's downfall? Hamad, I gotta give, listen, the guy knows his business. <laughs> Nobody is able to destroy Amalek better than Haman. I mean, even Shaul couldn't do it as good as Haman did. Shaul brought back Agag. Haman left no survivors. Haman's unbelievable. The guy fulfills the mitzvah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you could trust him when it comes to this mitzvah of killing Amalek. He killed himself and his family wonderfully. Now watch this. So after he gives the advice to kill Vashti, he tells the king, Ki devar malchut melefanav. From now on, devar malchut, royal orders, should come from the king. You don't have to ask anybody. You're a, you're a, you're a, you're a, 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 a ruler without a, 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 a borders. You don't have any restrictions. You're a ruler that's a dictator. What are you making us make decisions for you? For now on, now, a megalomaniac loves to hear that, that somebody's giving him more power. So Hashverosh said, that's it, the new law of the land is, I don't got to ask anybody. Now watch what happens. Now, many years later, when now the king is upset at Haman, and Harbonah just gives an idea. He's not a court. He just says, hey, there's a tree. The king says, Telu alav. Now Haman is standing there. Haman says, wait, why don't you ask the court? Hoping that if he asks the court, maybe he'll get some sympathy in the court. But he says, wait, I can't ask the court because I'm the guy that told them seven years before not to ask the court. And therefore, because Haman did away with that deliberation of court, that would work against them. Because if Hasharosh would have brought it to court, there probably would have been a lot of Haman sympathizers in the court that would have told Hasharosh, ah, don't do it, he's a good guy, give him a break, give him a second chance. But because Haman did away with it, literally did he know that day that he would, uh, like they say in America, he ended up getting a taste of his own medicine. But in this case, it was a taste of his own poison. So he's a victim of his own, of his own actions. And that's what it means, everything that Haman prepared, he was actually preparing for himself. Now watch even, uh, even more, uh, even more beautiful. He comes home one day and he tells his wife Zeresh, another another character. He tells Zeresh 
Hey, listen, I'm all upset this Mordechai. Even though I got a lot of stuff, I have money, I have wealth, I have kabod, I got everything, but you know what? Nothing's worth anything. I got to get this Mordechai. I need good advice. Zeres says, listen, I'm going to give you the right advice. It's, the advice I'm giving you is called foolproof. If you just listen, it's got to work. Okay, what's the plan? First, you got to make the tree. Before you do anything, make the machine. The death machine has to be there. Why? Because once you tell the king to kill Mordechai, it's got to be done within five minutes. Because the king is a fickle man. He's hafachfach. If the king is going to say to kill Mordechai, and then you got to spend a day and a half to build a tree in the interim, somebody will whisper in his ear, and he'll change his mind. So for this to work, knowing the nature of Ashverosh, the tree has got to be there. So once Ashverosh gives the green light, bing, two minutes later, the guy's hanging on a tree. Good plan, yeah? Second, she says, What does it mean, Baboker? Go there early in the morning. Now, why early in the morning? Why not two o'clock in the afternoon? What's, what's the difference when he goes? The point is, go. Oh, before he prays. <laughs> before he prays. Who's praying? Nobody's praying in this story over here. The only guy that's praying is Mordecai. <clears throat> so he tells him, oh, before Mordecai prays. But Mordecai's praying all night, yeah, but what do you think? Of it? <laughs> so now, so she explains. She says, listen, you got to get the king when he's alone. Why? Because, listen, you're going to tell the king to kill Mordecai. If there's two, three advisors there, they might tell the king, listen, we don't like Mordechai either. But listen, you can't kill a guy like this. It's, uh, he's friendly with the queen. It doesn't go, the, the papers are not going to like it. Uh, you know. All you need somebody is to tell Ashverosh and sour the plan, so therefore he's not going to do it. But if you get him alone, before the advisors get there, Ashverosh is impressionable. You could uh, talk him into it and he'll do it. So, so by the way, she's hachama. She has, she has wisdom. It's, this was not just a plan off the cuff. She gives him the reason why the tree has to be built ASAP. And she gives him the reason why he's got to show up early in the morning. Now, what I'm going to tell you now would be reason for Haman to kill his wife. For such advice, by the way. Now, he probably would have done it if he wouldn't have been hung. Which means he didn't have a chance to kill his wife because he got killed first. Because of the advice that his wife gave him. That's what I'm telling you. His wife couldn't give, which is, you have to, by the way, if you're Scotland Yard, you have to investigate Zeresh that this was a setup that she could collect the insurance on her husband. <laughs> that, that, that's what it looks like over there because this, this couldn't have been better. If you want to kill your husband, the best advice she gave, go early in the morning and prepare the tree. She said, that no, she didn't intend this, of course. She didn't intend this, but at the end, retroactively, we see that the setup to kill her husband, you couldn't have done, the mob couldn't have done it better than what she did over here to kill. I'll explain to you why. A man says, I gotta get up early. He doesn't usually get up early, but that morning he got up early. Middle of the night, as a matter of fact. And he gets to the, gets to the king, and he's all alone. Beauty. He says, well, my wife, what a shit, I'm alone with the king now. I'm gonna sketch this guy so bad. Because he just woke up in the middle of the night. He can't even think straight. The guy, I'll get him. Mordecai is going to be on the tree before dawn, by the way. The king says, before you talk, uh, Haman, I know you came to tell me something, but I have to tell you something. The king goes first. The king goes first. So the king says, listen, there's a guy I want to, uh, I want to show some honor to. Of course, Haman is a, you know, uh, he's an egotistical guy. And... Uh, he just thinks about himself. He doesn't think about anybody else. So uh, he says, well, listen, probably talking about me, so let me, let me lay it on thick. He says, listen, you got to get the crown, you got to get the garment, you got to get the horse, and you got to, you know, prance him through the city, and all that. The king says, fantastic. Uh, I want this to be done to Mordechai, but you know what? There's nobody around over here. You're the only guy here, so you go do it. 
Naaman says to his wife, you If I would have came at two o'clock in the afternoon, somebody else would be doing this over here. But because I, which was in, 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 in America, they say he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now we say he was in the right place at the right time, which means that's exactly where God wanted him to be. So what causes Haman to be the guy to parade Mordechai in the street? Because he was the guy there when the king had the idea. Now, if he would have showed up at a normal time, probably somebody else would have been doing it. So who brought Haman to humiliation? His wife who was trying to bring Mordechai to humiliation. So God says, why devise a new plan? I'll use their plan. Why waste the paper already? They did it already for me, so I'll just take their plan and use it for my own. This is amazing stories. Now what happens? Comes to the second party. We knew Esther turns to Hasmodos and says, that's the guy, that's the guy. So now Hasmodos says, okay, I'm going to kill this guy. How am I going to kill this guy? All of a sudden, Harbonat comes in and says, it's there, the tree's there already. Haman says, oh my gosh. If the tree wasn't prepared, I have time to convince the king out of it. Now because Zeresh told me to build the tree first, now that alacrity and zinizut is going to come back and bite me now. Because I built the tree so fast, that speed comes to be a liability to Haman. So again, anything that Haman is doing to try to push the karma against Mordechai, it's backfiring right in his face. And this is one of the ways that HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. He tries to show you that nothing, I'm the king, God says, I'm the king. I created this whole world. Nobody is able to subvert my will. Nobody. No matter how much weapons you have, no matter how much influence you have, God is the king of the king of kings. Remember what I told you. Melech, Malchah Melachim. The king of the king of kings. You have to remember that. Nobody has any power at that time. Take Putin and take a hundred like him. And take every dictator from the beginning of time to the end of time. They're powerless and they're like puppets in front of God. And God will use them when needed in order to bring the salvation. He will use their plan that they wanted to direct in this direction and he'll reroute the plan and then all of a sudden they scratch and say, hold on, were we responsible for, for, for killing our own people? How'd that happen? The plan was not only but kilkalta and mahashavto. Give you an example to this. I'll give you an example. Our rabbis tell us that we must celebrate Purim in the second Adar, like we did this year, the second Adar. Because they always wanted to be close to Nisan. Because in Nisan, there was another miracle of salvation called Pesach. So we want to always connect Purim and Pesach. For good reason. Mismach Geula Geula. And there is also a uh, correlation between the two redemptions. The classic. The stipler, Alaba Shalom, the father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Alaba Shalom. Birkat Peres, he makes a beautiful expose on this. When he writes, he says, they came to the king, uh, Paro, Pharaoh. And... Uh, Stargazers tell him, listen, we're reading in the stars, and it says that any moment, imminently, the Jewish Savior is going to be born. But we also see in the stars that his demise is going to be in the water, or by the water. Now, were they right? Yes, they were right. Moshe was going to be born imminently, and his demise was through the water. Because when God told him to talk to the rock to bring the water, he ended up hitting the rock. So they got it right. Moshe's going to be born and he's going to fall through the water. But oh, I didn't understand it. He thought that now we'll take all the boys that are being born today, throw them in the water, the crocodiles and the Nile will eat the kid, and that's it. We got rid of the Jewish savior. So they start taking the Jewish babies. They throw them in the water. 
and Paro sitting in his palace watching the babies get tossed into the water, and he's saying, listen, one of those is going to be... And then they told him, they came back to him and said, wait, we have a, we have a mixed signal over here. What do you mean mixed signal? It says, it seems to us that the Jewish leader might be Egyptian. I don't know, that's what it says in the stars. So the Pasuk says, Vaitzav paro lechol abo. Paro commanded now even to all the Egyptians. Lechol abo, what did the Egyptians do? Because, and by the way, they were right also. They were right about that also, as you'll see. Now they're throwing him in. And Moshe Rabbeinu was born, and it's time to throw him in also. They put him in a basket, and he's in there. That day, Batya, or Bitya, however you want to say it, she decides to go take a uh, swim. She's allowed, she's the prince, she can do whatever she wants. <coughs> she's swimming, all of a sudden she opens the basket, she's a cute baby, cute, she had mercy, but she had mercy, Muba, baby. She didn't have children, she couldn't have children, whatever the reason is. And uh, she starts to cool the baby and make nice to the baby. She doesn't take the, she's the prince, she can do whatever she wants. She takes the baby home. A couple of days later she goes to her father, says, Dad, I have news. What's the news? I, uh, I fostered a child. Fostered a child? Where did you get a child from? I found a child over there. Okay, the princess can do whatever you want. I have a problem with that. The kid don't want a nurse. Go to CBS, get the Similac, and. Uh, no, there's nothing, uh, nothing. But listen, maybe uh, go find a Jewish lady, because uh, maybe this kid's a Jewish boy. Wait, wait, wait. Whoa, let's see. You found him in the Nile. Go find the Jewish baby. Maybe the milk is different. Go give him the, maybe the kid will nurse. There was no Chabad yet in Egypt. So she, she went. She went. All of a sudden, who's sitting at the bank? River Yochevet. The mother of this child. <coughs> Batya says, listen, I see you're a wet nurse. Could you help me? I have a kid over here. She looks, that's a kid. Could you nurse? But uh, listen, we know it's, uh, it's not your kid. We'll pay you $1,000 an hour from the palace. So she's getting paid to nurse her own baby. It's unbelievable. Something that she would have to do anyway. But Borei Olam loves the Sadiqim. He pays them for doing that. She's nursing, and then she gives a bill. Please, nurse this kid over here. Balash, and they pay him. Now, comes back to the palace. Should have been, was eating good, very nice. Now one day, the king is dating there. Batya says, do me a favor, we have a social event I have to go to. Dad, uh, could you burp uh, the baby? Could you burp him? Yeah, of course. Well, Moshe is sitting on his lap, and he's sitting there, you know. Okay, young man, burp, burp, burp. Big boom, boom, boom. Habit, habit, habit. And as he's burping, you know, what is Paro saying? Uh, those dirty Jews, we got them. We got them. We threw all those kids in the water over there. We got the leader, the Jews. Look at that. Little does he know. He's sitting on his lap and he's feeding him the Gerber and he's taking, giving him silk pajamas and he's taking care of him, giving him an allowance. He's being raised as the prince of Egypt under his nose. What's going on? The Ibn Ezra says even more spectacular. Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be the leader of Bnei Israel. Now leaders have to know how to behave as a leader. Now, if you ever watch the Senate, you can always tell the freshman senators. They don't know the protocol. They get up and they bang, oh, you have to say this first, you have to introduce that guy, you have to yield, you have to, there's all rules over there. You, know, you ever watch C-SPAN? They give you all the Hindushim over there and the freshmen are always messing up. And you see the veterans over there, you know, all the protocol, what to say, and Mrs. President, Mrs. Speaker, Mrs. Dad, yeah, the system. Now, all of a sudden, Moshe is going to be thrown as a leader of a nation. Where is he going to learn the protocol? He got the best teacher. But all. He's raising them. Now, many years later, when he comes to tell Paro that he's going to bring frogs on his head, and he comes along and he's talking to the king in the proper way, in the proper the etiquette, and the king tells him, where did you, where did you learn this from? He says, <laughs> you paid my, my tuition, by the way. <laughs> Who paid the tuition for Moshe to learn all these etiquette rules of, of kingdom and, 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 and diplomacy? Paro! So who raised, by the way, when we leave Mitzrayim, you have to really say on the way out, really, you got to give you credit. If it wasn't for you, there would be no Moshe. But hold the Paro saying, but this was the plan to kill Moshe. So God says, yeah, I'm going to use your plan to save him. In the Haggadah Shopesa, what do we say? 
in every generation, the Goyim come to kill us. V'akadosh Baruch Hu matzilenu miyadam, and Hashem saves us from their hands. But the deep explanation is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu matzilenu, how does He save us? Miyadam. From their hands. The hands of the enemies themselves bring us to salvation. Whose hands killed Haman? His hands. Whose hands saved Moshe? From the hands, the hands of the enemy. But Olam takes their plan and boomerangs it against. Why does he do that? He wants to show you, look how much I control the world and humans have no power. But Olam says, it's not that I have to go, oh, he's going this way, I'll go that way. No, I'm going to go use this way, I'm going to use his item. Why do we got to go a different way? Why do I have to waste my time? Let me just take what he created already. And like we say in Hebrew, what is v'nafoch? We'll flip it. Turn it upside down. They say Haman used to play dice. He was a gambler. He took the dice, he rolled three dice. In the game, he rolled three dice. Came one, three, three. He said, beauty, one, three, three. One is Aleph. Three, three is Gimal Gimal. Agag. He rolled Agag. Beauty. Agag is his grandfather. It's Amalek. But he didn't know on the other side of the dice, what's on the bottom of a three? The bottom of three is a six? No, four. 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 Seven. Four. Seven. Seven. Four. All right, the O's equal seven. So the bottom of three is a four. Okay, so that's a Dalit. And the bottom of a one is a what? A six. That's a Vav. And the bottom of three is a four. David. The dice turned upside down. From one, three, three. Turned over one, four, four. David. And all of a sudden, instead of him being on top, David was on top. What's the point? But Olam uses the same instrument that the enemy tried to use against us. It comes on him. Now let's go. Now let's go. Now let's go. This is not only by... Megillat Esther. Many years ago, you remember there was the uh, the hijacked plane that they took to Uganda. They took to Uganda. Okay. So they take these uh, plane Jews to Uganda to this airport and Tebi, not Antebi, and Tebi. Take him. Ah, the Israelis got to figure out, first they got to figure out on the map where is this place Uganda. We got to take out the maps. Where is this place? It's not uh, Brooklyn, it's Uganda. Where is this place? Okay, once they finally find it on the map, now there's an abortion. And Tebi Airport is not JFK. JFK is famous airport. And Tebi, who knows what this airport is? Now they're in the terminal. Go figure out now the configuration of the terminal and Entebbe, so when they have the raid, they know exactly where they're going. Uh, turns out, many years before, when the Ugandan government wanted to build Entebbe Airport, they hired an Israeli company to build Entebbe Airport. <laughs> so who do they call up? They call up the guy in Israel, by any chance do you have the plans? Now, by the way, even the Ugandans didn't have the plans of Entebbe Airport. Who's got the plans? By the way, if you want to do a scavenger hunt, that nobody will ever win town, go find the plans for Entebbe Airport. You that's it, you want. You can't find it. There's a guy in Israel that has the plans. Who says, who's going to save the Jews in Uganda? The people from Uganda themselves, the enemy. Idi Amin Dada, you asked the Israelis to build the airport for you. And therefore you gave us the plans to the airport, you put it in our hands. So therefore, we opened the plane. Oh, we know where this. We made Bidikat Hametz on all airports. You know, we know exactly where every room is. We found all 10 pieces. We found all 10 pieces. We knew exactly where everybody was because the plans were in our hand. And Kadosh Baruch says, I could have saved them in a million ways. But I said, you know what? Give this a good to the Ugandans. Let them help us already. Already, they, they think they're going to hurt us. So I'm going to use them. And then you guys say, why do we use an Israeli to build this thing first? If we would have used any other country, we would have been, uh, we would have been fine. But Yolam says, no, Asher Hechin Lo. They prepared it for themselves. August 2nd, 1492. King Ferdinand Isabella. 
the expulsion. The expulsion. That was the day where King Ferdinand and Isabella's wife, that's like Haman and Zeresh, the Gilgul. And they came along and they said, we had enough of these Jews. Whatever Jews remained in Spain, they had to be baptized to Christians. And whoever didn't want to baptize themselves, kicked them out. Plan of these two tyrants to rid the world of Jews we're never going to hear from these guys again. And this was a, one of those tragic days in the history of our nation, the day of the expulsion of the Jews of Spain. August 2nd, 1492. In the diary of one of the Golim, he writes, that as we were leaving, in the port in Spain, there's three big ships that have the Spanish flag that are being set out on an expedition being funded by none other than King Ferdinand and Isabella. The names of these ships were the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria. The main explorer on the ship was a fellow called Christopher Columbus. And what was the purpose of this expedition? Ferdinand and Isabella told them Go explore the new world. Borei Olam said, you think you're killing the Jewish people? You think you're going to destroy the Jewish people? On the day that you sent the Jewish people out, you built Lakewood Yeshiva. On the day you sent them out, you built Ohad Yaakov Synagogue. You built America. You built the greatest safe haven for the Jewish people that they will ever have, even greater than Spain. And God says, I could have had Columbus find America in a hundred different ways. But I said, you know what? Already you're a wise guy and you think that on August 2nd you're going to get rid of the Jews? On the next day, on August 3rd, you paid for the expedition to make the golden era for the Jews for hundreds of years. So we have to say at the end of this class, Kaddish, please have in mind for King Ferdinand and Isabella, because, uh, listen, you know, you got to give them credit. Was it not for them, we would not be in America. So they, they paid for the voyage. They get the credit for Columbus. Now he's saying to himself, he's saying to himself, what the heck did I do? If he would have known what that would have done to the Jews, that expedition, he would have drowned the ships himself and he would have told Columbus, I'll pay you to stay home. Don't find nothing. You understand? He could have found America in many ways. But he says, The guy who tried to destroy the Jewish people, God says, through you. You understand what's working? Don't kid yourself, Rabotai. The Germans are anti-Semites, but the Russians are probably worse anti-Semites. The Russians are the first ones to try to create concentration camps of mass murder. Just they don't have to build anything. Go look at the weapons they have. The Germans were just better engineers, but the idea, the idea was from uh, from the Russians. Stalin had an idea to kill millions of Jews. This was his plan. Nineteen fifties, millions of Jews. Neskadul, he died on Purim Day, actually. Which is a story in itself. Stalin was a modern-day Haman. He died on Purim right after the Megillah. Boom, he had a stroke and he died. They were anti-Semites to the highest order. They didn't only ban Jews from, from Russia. They banned God. The godless place. They, they, no, there's no room for God. They have no morals. They have no God. That's why. Yeah. Communism. But look at this. The biggest anti-Semites, Stalin, Lenin, Brezhnev, all these are big, hardcore anti-Semites. 1948, United Nations. Now they're voting for the ratification of the State of Israel. Russia is one of the main countries in the Security Council. Go figure. That day, the Russians voted. Yes. These are the biggest enemies of Israel, tried to kill, and now they vote for the state. Hashem put it in their brain. They thought that Israel is going to be communist. Of course, the original uh, Zionists were socialists. They were socialists. So they thought they're going to be communists. It's a beauty, we'll have a communist country in the Middle East. Beauty, that'll be our ally. 
So they voted yes. Now they get the yes, and they didn't become communist, they became uh, socialist, democratic eventually. But Hashem says, I'm going to get the yes vote from whom? Where am I going to put it in? I get the yes vote from I could, I could get the state of Israel in a million ways. But you know what? Let's make it funny a little over here. Let's make it a little, uh, just to give the guys in the shoot a little laugh. We're going to take the biggest enemy that wants to kill millions of Jews, and he's going to be responsible. So now, when Russia comes along and starts to evict all the Ukrainian Jews, give Hazak to the Russians. Now, because of the Russians, the Ukrainians have a place to go to Eretz Israel. For what they did, they did it. They, did. they tried to kill the Jews. And now, because of what they did, they gave the Jews of Ukraine now, Bezat Hashem, a place, a safe haven, where they can go. So when they get to Eretz Israel, the people in Israel listen, you have to give that credit to the Russians. Russians, they, they kick us out of our house. Yeah, they kicked you out of that house, but they gave you this house. The Russia. It's a setup. The hand of Jewish history is many times God will use the hands of our enemies to bring the Hashkaha. Okay, now let's go back. It's not a complicated lesson tonight. It's just the same theme I'm showing you over and over again. There's sometimes I give classes like that because I want to teach you this Hashkafa. Asher Hechin, Lo. All right, chapter one of Megillah Tester. Hashanah makes a party. Okay. 180 day party. Some say that was the biggest miracle of Purim, that a Persian made a party for 188. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of money. In any event, so he makes a six-month party. What was the theme of the party? Was it, what does he celebrate? Birthday? What was the party? It was a masquerade party. Now, yeah, people today also make masquerade parties. They dress up like uh, Zaro or uh, you know, some of these characters over here. And, uh, but they're not celebrating anything. They're just coming to be, you know, to be silly. Hashverosh, he wore a costume that night. Not from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> he wore a costume that was authentic. It was a real costume. The clothes of the Kohen Gadol. If you look at Megillat Esther, Hur Karpas Utcheret, the head of Hur is written big. Because it's eight. He was wearing the eight garments of the... He walked in as the Kohen Gadol. Everybody's, wow, look at this. And he gets up and says, Rabotai, the reason why I chose this costume over here, uh, and he won it. He won the prize that night. Finished it. So he won it. <laughs> That's it. Some guy won as the Great Gatsby, but there's nothing. This is uh, the Great Gatsby. Everybody can do that. He came as... Uh, so he says, listen, like, the reason why I did this is because the Jews have a tradition. The Jews always have these traditions. But today I have debunked the Jewish tradition. They claim that from the time they went into exile, after 70 years, they claim that they're going to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Abotai, today is the 70th year. I calculated. Now, of course, he miscalculated. Hasrosh can't, can't count the 10, he's going to count the 70. Okay, well, put that on the side. He's, I calculated, or I had my mathematicians calculate for me, and they said the 70 years are up and there's no temple, therefore I'm the new Kohen Gadol, and therefore the Jews are going to remain exiled forever, and that's it. No more Jerusalem, no more nothing. This was his celebration. It was a celebration of anti-temple. That was the theme of the party. Anti-temple party. The temple will not exist. That was the whole thing. That's what was such a sin for the Jews to attend the party, even if, even if there was kosher food. It wasn't the food that was the problem with the party. It was the theme of the party. How do you go to a party where they're celebrating the demise of the Jewish people? They're celebrating your uh, destruction. Are you going to revel with them? Because you got a free, free glass of wine? Hashverosh, one of his biggest pet peeves, was the second temple. It was Hashverosh that sent letters to Jerusalem to stop the building. He was the king at the time, and he gives the variants. He gives the building variances. And he sent an order to stop the construction. He hated the Jews to build the second temple. Even when Queen Esther comes to the palace and Hashverosh says, Ma she'elatech uma bakashatech ad malchut. I'll give you anything up until and not including. 
What was he restricting? Hatsiya Malchut, the midpoint of my kingdom, which was Jerusalem, which is the temple. Ask me for anything, but don't ask me to rebuild the second temple. That I'm not even willing to give to my favorite wife, Esther. That's Hashverosh's anti-Semitism. His, if you look on his bio, amongst the things of Hashverosh, an antagonist against the second temple. Okay? That's how, that's how Miginat Esther opens up. On the anti-temple party that Hashverosh throws in year 70. And now, I have a pasuk over from the book of Ezra. Ultimately, the second temple was built. And the building variance was given. Ezra Perek Vav. Bet Elaha Dechdi Birushlem. Regarding the temple that's in Jerusalem, Anna Daryavish Samitem Aspana Yitabid. I give the permission for the workers to resume. Darius. Who is Darius? Darius is the son of Ahasuerus from Queen Esther. So now, look what God says. Ahasuerus, because of you, you're going to bring a son into the world. And your son, that could not have come into this world unless you participated. I don't have to explain that to you. Without Hashanah's participation, that Yavesh cannot be born. So therefore, in basketball, who gets the assist on the building of the Beit HaMikdash? You got to give Hashanah the assist over there. The guy that his reason of existence was not the Beit HaMikdash, he brings from his progeny that Yavesh, who re-enlists the construction variances, for the Beit HaMikdash. But then the rabbis ask, but wait, it says not only that, but that Yavish funded it. And the Gemara, the rabbis say, where did he get the funding? From the coffers of the treasury of Parasumadai. And where did that money come from? Ahasuerus collected the taxes which would ultimately pay for the building of the Beit HaMikdash. <laughs> so when you get to the Beit HaMikdash, you see a big sign on the outside. It says, this temple was funded, not by the Helena Rubenstein Foundation, this temple was funded by none other Ahasuerus ben Hamor Melech <laughs> I don't know who his father was, but he must have been a big Amor. That's who built the Beit What do you mean he built it? Of course, he collected. By the way, he collected the money for the Mishkan. Just like Moshe collected the money. That's why the Mikilah is ending where it started. It starts by telling us the guy made a party against the Beit HaMikdash. And God says, you, you think you're going to act the Beit HaMikdash? Just because you made that party, now God says, I'm going to use you, me Adam. I'm going to use your energy and your power to build the Beit HaMikdash. You're going to collect the taxes. Once you collect all the money, you put it all the money. And you'll die, and your son Dariyavish will open up the treasury and take all the mass, and he will deliver it to Yerushalayim. And at the end of the day, Ahasuerus, your worst nightmare comes true. You're going to be responsible in a very direct manner for having the second bet of Mikdash built. And that's how Migilat Estate ends. Even that plot of Ahasuerus trying to uh, 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 deprive us from the temple. Borei says, we're not going to be deprived, but even better. The one that tried to deprive us, he's the one that's going to deliver it to us. The mass that he collected will be ultimately for the second temple. Let that be a lesson for us the whole time. Exactly. Some say God has a good sense of humor. That's the sense of humor that God does. He uses the enemy's hand 
in order to bring us salvation. We're living in, in unbelievable times, I don't have to tell you. There are signs all over the place. The Gemara says that uh, a hakam doesn't need signs. It's enough to give a hakam a remez. You know, a wise man, you just have to give him a nuance and he understands what you're talking about. A fool, you punch him in the nose, he doesn't get it. We're fools. But Allah obviously is giving us not signs, but he's giving us obvious things. He gave us a pandemic which shook the whole world up. After he gave us a pandemic, Okay, year of vaccines, which I don't have an opinion on that. I think we're up to number four. I lost track. Oh, the booster of the booster. Yeah, okay. We did, we did so far. Abraham, it's Haki. They got the whole Shpizim. Okay. They let us do that. I don't have an opinion. Ask your doctors about that. And then what? After that, after that finished, they told us, Rabotai, the mask mandate is over. We can go back to living normally. Restaurants can open up. You can go to a gym. You can live normal lifetime. The second the day was over, Russia investigates Ukraine. Now you know, that's it. World War Three. Now ready, the whole world turned up. Bore Olam's coming along and saying, hey, I'm not going to stop now. Right before my Shia comes, it's going to be back to back to back. You're not going to have a respite because you have to start to wake up. You're going to have to start to wake up. And then finally we said, okay, after, after a couple of weeks in Russia, we said, ah, who knows? Anyway, we, we don't go to Ukraine anymore. Okay, these guys go to Oman, doesn't bother us over there. Leave us alone. Anyway, we have enough vodka to last us for 100 years. So the gas goes up a couple of dollars. We have Teslas now. We don't need the gas. Okay, we're good. We got used to it. Right after that, but it takes away the Gadola door. I'm curious. You want to hear now? You want to hear what's going to be now? Now, because you know what we always said? COVID came. We said, we have Rav Chaim. The vaccines, we have Rav Chaim. The war in Ukraine, eh, Rav Chaim's there. As long as Rav Chaim's holding up the world, so even the world is a little unstable, but he's stabilizing it. Now, Bode Olam says, okay, now I'm taking away the stabilizer. Okay, now what? Everything's still there. Now you don't have your stabilizer. Now we want to. And therefore, Bode Olam is definitely... He's talking to us, Abotai. He's talking to us. You know, five years ago, when, when Russia invaded the Crimea, we said, this doesn't affect us. I don't know what Russia is. I don't know what the Crimea is. Good luck to both of them. Rabbi Sternbach wrote a letter and said, I heard from the Gaon de Vilna, a tradition from his family, that on the day that Russia invades the Crimea, prepare for Mashiach. He said it four or five years ago. They laughed at him. Ah, I was Rabbi Sternbach. I got to write a letter. Now, of a sudden... We start to see that the world is coming. We, know, we don't know the ways of God, obviously. And when we say uh, Mashiach, it means tomorrow. We believe he should come tomorrow. But definitely, but, but the good news is that Bori Olam is going to use the hand of our enemies to bring the salvation. We're not going to live any work. The story of Purim comes and teaches us that when Bori Olam wants to bring salvation, he'll use the most unlikely suspect that you think is going to bring a Yisra for the Jewish people. He can use the biggest anti semite Therefore, you're never scared of the anti-Semite. Because at the end of the day, when you look at it in retrospect, you have to say, by the way, Haman was the biggest advocate for the Jewish people. What we couldn't do for our own good, Haman did for us better than anybody else can. And what, what we couldn't do for ourselves, but all unreal what he did for us. He raised Moshe. And that's the same thing when it comes to Uganda, when it comes to King Ferdinand, and when it comes to the... They all served us better than we could imagine. That's going to be the same thing in the final Geulah. But Elam is now setting up the, the table and preparing it for ultimately a Geulah. But to us is the Emunah. God runs the world. And that's the main thing you have to hold on to this. At the end of the day, there's God and you have to give all the praise to God. We're not afraid of people. We're not afraid of uh, tyrants. We're not afraid of, no, of Allah. We're afraid of God because God is the king and God has the supreme power and the praise belongs to the king. And you just have to just keep on giving the praise to the king and the honor to the king and the glory to the king of kings, to God. And that's what he wants to hear now. He doesn't want you to come along and say, oh, I'm scared of this guy, I'm scared of that. What are you scared of? I'm your king, what are you scared of? You're scared? Go, I'll put you in his hands then if you're scared. But you come along, you put your hands in the hands of God. 
תן לך בגוזאי, תשוס מי אז דה קינג, אדוני מלך, אדוני מלך, אדוני ימנוך לעולם ועד, ירעם הים ומלואו, The Creator, then Borelam will start to bring us ultimately redemption, like as it says in the Pasuk, at the end of the Megillah, Mordechai, which is us, he came in front of the king, and then the end of the Pasuk says, Amen. 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 Amen.